0: Welcome to your spiritual broadcast with David Goddard. This podcast is about everything occult, alchemy, Kabbalah, angelic magic, ritual, and so much more. Join David Goddard and Benjamin Phillips as we explore the world of true spiritual living dedicated to a better world. David is a spiritual teacher and author. He teaches worldwide and is the spiritual director of the Rising Phoenix Foundation. Here's David Goddard and me, Benjamin Phillips, with your Spiritual Broadcast. Hello dear listener, you are here listening to Benjamin Phillips and I have David Goddard here on another episode of your Spiritual Broadcast. Now today we're talking about a subject that I think many thinking people are concerned about. People are concerned about the rise of religious fanaticism, um, especially the kind of fanaticism that's fueling terrorism, although history shows us that this is actually not a new thing. So David and I decided to take the subject on and actually just kind of get some clarity from, from a spiritual and esoteric perspective on this. And so here we are. David, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Benjamin. How's your good self? Terrific. Thank you very much. Excellent. So, we're talking about fanaticism, and it's partly due to the rise, uh, rising tide of disquiet, I guess, that many people are expressing uh, concern about the so called Islamic State and other religious fanaticism that one's seeing around the world. Could we maybe look at, to begin with, uh, what, where, or why? does fanaticism come into being?
1: Well, according to the dictionaries, a fanatic is a person who's filled with excessive and single-minded zeal, especially for an extreme religious or political cause. But the word fanatics has always, since its very beginning, been associated more with religion than with politics. And that's to do with the root of the word, Um, it comes through the Old French, but originally from the Latin. One of the things about a temple was they would talk about the fane of the temple, F-A-N-E, which is kind of an architectural part of the temple. And from this, this, the French came to be fanatique, Uh from the Latin, fanaticus, meaning of the temple. But it was much more precise than that. It was also meant inspired by the god so the phonemes, the temple but they're talking about behavior that in ancient times and actually not so ancient ancient if you remember back dear listener to our um podcast on uh zombies and voodoo with possession right the ancients have this thing idea of the possession of by a god Hmm. meaning very intense powerful you know um attitudes and things and so from this then came the idea later on of like a religious maniac you know Mm. but it was originally a frenzy brought on during a possession believed to be of gods or spirits and things and in this sense of course fanaticism has now become associated with we could say the psychological shadow of religious belief
0: right because I mean, at the moment, really fanatical Islam um, inspiring terrorism, you know what which one sees in the media, you know day and night, um, I mean, I guess that's that's part of it, isn't it?
1: Yes, I mean, as you know, as we'll continue with the podcast and as we get blown up in between, um, you know we'll see how actually this kind of behavior, It's been common to all religions at some point in their behaviour. It's almost like what I would call an adolescent phase they go through. Hmm. But at the moment, yes, it is mainly Islam. And unfortunately, Islam has a very bad reputation for this, going back almost to its beginning. The Prophet Muhammad was succeeded by his son-in-law, Ali, who had had married his daughter Fatima, Mm. who some people regard regard her as the first Sufi, which is very interesting from a mystical point of view. And so Ali became the first caliph, the Mm. first commander of the faithful. And it was something like, I think, 30 years after the death of the Prophet Muhammad, during Friday prayers in the great mosque, you see Muslims pray when they stand and then bow from the waist and stand again and then bow down, put their foreheads to the ground and mm. rise up. So he, he was doing that prayer and he was in the front row, being the caliph. And as he bent down, somebody stabbed him in the back of a knife. So mm. that was one of his believers straight away. Oh boy. And from that point, you get the big division in Islam that it's still cursed with to this day shia and sunni Hmm. now there are many subdivisions too to be fair but these are the two big divisions and it's almost like uh, this isn't strictly accurate but it will do for the sake of an example it's almost like the great big hatred and wars between christians as catholics and as protestants Right. Yeah, there's big wars of religion and things, mm-hmm. and even not so long ago in Northern Ireland, and exactly things yeah. like that. Yeah, so that's what I mean about all religions have these particular things. Absolutely. But from this particular point, it happened. So Shi'as believe in a succession of spiritually realized beings they call Imams, of whom Ali is the first, and the twelfth one is. They actually use the word in translation. Is occulted, occult meaning hidden, mm. and that he's that he's immortal, and and it's really rather like the idea of Mahatmas and Theosophy, and these are highly spiritual beings, and right. And uh, if you hear the profession of faith in Shia Islam, it differs from the famous one because it says uh, there is no god but God, and Muhammad is his prophet. And Ali is his successor, whereas the Sunni don't mention Ali at all. You know, hmm. spit, spit, spit. And one of the reasons why there's so much hatred is because, rather like Catholics, the Shia also venerate the imams and a whole line of saints, and they build beautiful tombs for them, like Jalaluddin Rumi, and those tombs are sites of pilgrimage. So they have this whole kind of like Catholics with the intercession of saints. Hmm. And what really causes a lot of pain and hatred between the two is, as you see now with so-called Islamic State um, and other uh, Shia, um, sorry, Sunni terrorist groups, um, one of their favorite occupations is, is blowing up mm. Shia religious shrines. No, but, you see, I think that too... Uh, three about this because they both they both blow up each other's mosques hmm. you may recall when we went to um uh Los Angeles you know one of your favorite cities oh Germany, yeah that um we were driving back to you remember those very busy workshops we did there mm-hmm. um and we were driving backwards and forwards along this main drag and at one point we passed uh a kind of uh crossroads and there were two uh, temples um, in, in America, what we call synagogues, Jewish places of worship, they call temples, right. made in America. Yeah. And there were two on either side, in either corner. And what caught our attention was, you could see from the stained glass windows, that one of them was the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. Mm. So, of course, we were both very interested and asked our host about this. And, and then she explained to us, actually, no, these are two synagogues. And so, understandably, we asked, well, why they're two synagogues, such huge buildings next to each other. I yeah, mean, exactly. it's a bit daft. Mm. And then she said, "No, one's Ashkenazi, one's Sephardi, and they won't, they yeah. won't worship with each other. Yeah. Shia and Sunni won't set foot in the same mosque." Mm. In fact, there's a there's a there's a there's a silly joke about um, <clears throat> two Jewish guys who get uh, shipwrecked on a desert island. And years later, when they when they're found and discovered, um, they find there are you know three synagogues on the island. And when the rescuers say, "Well, why why did you spend all your time building three synagogues?" and one of them says, "Well, one's mine, one's for his kind of people, and the third one is for those neither of us would ever set foot in." <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> anyway, You've got to love it. <laughs> It was Shias who, really, um, you get the first mark of real, what we would call, terrorism. By terrorism, I mean actions that lead to what politically we call assassinations. Mm. And this goes back to a breakaway sect of Shia, still exists today, known nowadays as the Ismailis, um, whose head is the Aga Khan, the guy who gets weighed in diamonds every year by his... Believers, who's believed to be the twelfth occult Imam okay. that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Though he's more better known for breeding racehorses and um, having parties in Paris and Monte Carlo. But there you are. That's what the Al Khans are famous in for. In the meantime, you, you know,
0: when you, in, you know, in your spare time, when you're doing when you're yeah, not doing that,
1: you're not when you're not being occult. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you you're not being occult, when you're being a little <laughs> bit more obvious. <laughs> yes. Yes. You've seen my stable horses, haven't you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing better than I am because I haven't. Anyway, the Ismailis, one of their leaders claimed to be the 12th imam and he set up a mountain fortress in in Persia, what we now call Iran, and it was called Alamut. And from there, he had his... uh, his Sufis, his dervishes, believe him to be the messenger of God upon earth and that they would do whatever he said. Right. Later on, he pointed another deputy who we know more about because of the, the European writings, a guy called Rashid Adin din Sinan, um, and he sent him to build another mountain fortress, Masaf. In modern day Syria. And this guy, of course, is known in history as the old man of the mountains. And what he used to do, so according to the stories, is that um, I mean, this fortress was virtually impregnable. It was only hundreds of years later that the, the Mongols managed to destroy it. But in its time, during the Crusades, Saladin, you know, who mm-hmm, took over mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the first kind of sultan. He mm-hmm. loathed them and then nearly got killed twice by them at prayers in the great mosque in Jerusalem and again in Damascus. Wow. Um, he tried to do in Richard the Lionheart and he took out he, he took out several European kings and princes.
0: Hmm.
1: So um according to how he was done, was on the top of his uh Uh, castle in Masaf, was this beautiful garden. And these young fanatical, here we go, believers, um, would be given hashish, so it's said. The drug, you mean? The drug. And in that state, being kind of stoned, or whatever the current term is for it, they were taken into this garden which they'd never seen before. And there were these horries these young scantily clad um women who kind of sexually aroused them and things bear in mind the guys have been like without it for you know if they got to shag a camel they were doing well you know yes. and um they um and they then they'd come to and they were told that this wonderful experience they had was a mystical vision mm. that they would have for eternity if they died fulfilling the command of the old man of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And so they became known as Hashanin, from which our word now comes, assassin. Hmm. And so this is the first case you have of a small group of people, because compared to Shia and Sunni, the Ismailis were very small. Right. They're a small group of people, but by using what we would call terrorism and assassination, you know, they terrorized what was then the middle east you see after all up until then of course it's all down to armies and it all depended upon how skilled or how big your army was wasn't it well if you've got a person who's willing to take the risk of dying to kill off your key person that's far more powerful and far more terrifying
0: well and i think it's also it just it's it's it changes the rules really doesn't it i mean absolutely it's um you know when absolutely. when you're fighting something where the opponent isn't interested in preserving his own life but instead willing to die for for whatever you know it's sure and i think that's i think in a sense it, also that's what makes people in a way don't understand some of this perception or this idea you know that somebody is so bought into the into whatever it is that they're believing that they would do anything in its name and at the same time at at, at their own, at, at the risk of killing themselves.
1: Yeah, and, and nowadays we call it cult mentality. Mm. I mean, in a certain sense, oh, let me just say to finish off a bit of history. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, it's my fault. I forgot about it. The, the last known big case of the old man of the mountain was um, when he ordered the assassination of the guy who was the newly elected King of Jerusalem, Conrad of Montferrat. Remember, this was the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem sure. when the Crusaders had conquered. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, in his, the heart of his own palace, he was killed by an assassin. Um, and, and so, from then on, it's regarded as, you know, being justifiable to kill the the opponents hmm. I mean we're in difficult territory aren't we because
0: oh yeah slippery after stuff. All,
1: if you look at you know military thinking well anybody who signs up for the armed forces they have these uh, well at least in the UK it's six weeks of hell hmm. of constant drilling 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 and it's a kind of make or break thing. And if they don't survive it, then they go. Now, what's really going on is indoctrinating the subconscious mind of the would-be military person Mm. so that they will act without thought Mm. on what they're told to do. So that eventually, under dangerous situations, you know, even when you know the fight or flight thing's in place, they will obey their officers to do things. That go against their instinctual nature, and of course, in other cases, against their morality, against their own consciences.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, I think you just need to refer back to, well, any take your pick, really. I mean, any reference to any war that took place. I mean, the stories of, Sure you know, the when 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 Germany was occupying France, and soldiers were on the front line, and you know, there was just no way that storming mm. the the German positions would make any difference, yet they got the order and they went, and you know, exactly. not one person I mean, survived.
1: Again, after all, it's not as if we're taking a political stance on this. No, absolutely not. But but um, there is also um, the fact, of course, of where is there between these two? Some of this is first world, third world. Mm. It's very hard nowadays for first world governments to motivate their potential military or people to sign up mm. because they have such comfortable lives. They sure. have three, four, five meals a day, 24-hour 20 hours, twenty-four cinema, TV, cars, popcorn, jeans, Coca-Cola. Sure. They can be numbed out all day long, you know, la, 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 la. So that's very hard to get them off the sofas. Why would they want to go into the dust of Afghanistan and caves mm. and what mm. whereas people from the third world have got nothing to lose. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know? No I, mean, so,
0: no, I mean it is it is a very difficult territory and I think it you know, one goes into a whole swath of geopolitical wada 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 and I mean it's just like stop. you know you know, there's not really a straightforward answer and I think, you know, we're not really trying to get to that or to the bottom of that it's really just to help the listeners our listeners understand yeah. sort of from a historic esoteric perspective what this is all about where it's from and sort of give perspective on the situation at least from an esoteric standpoint
1: sure and of course you know, there is you know the spiritual view which you know is expressed very well by uh, yeshua when he says those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and I think that that's actually uh, that brings up an interesting point because we began off having actually said that, <clears throat> you know, there are other faiths that have engaged in, in some form of fanaticism or other. I mean, could we maybe look at a couple of examples that come to the top of your mind about sort of, you know, not to, because the point is not really to just single out islam or the fanatics of islam in this no, particular sure, case sure. it's it's really a case of you know everybody has um a way to bear in this case
1: yes and of course some of it is simply a kind of tribalism but i i think what i'll, do, I'll attempt to do in answering this very interesting question is um i'm just going to give examples from the existing world religions
0: yeah i exactly. mean you could do
1: it with all religions but oh, we'll let's be deal here for with day with, night Yeah, we'll do with the surviving world religions and and take it from there. So amongst the Abrahamic religions, we dealt with Islam, uh, but that leaves Judaism and Christianity. Well, of course, um, uh, in the beginnings of of Judaism, as we now know it and things, there were what were called the wars of the Lord. Mm. And that's when, um, according to the Old Testament, to the Torah, um, they are liberated after 400 years of slavery in ancient Egypt. And then they wander in the wilderness. But all the time they're being promised a land flowing with milk and honey, which turns out to be Canaan, which, of course, nowadays we would call Palestine. And all the way through, they are hmm. fighting and killing the tribes who got in the way. I mean, every, everybody knows this. This isn't
0: yeah, Yeah, I really know.
1: You just need to turn it's, the
0: television on, really.
1: Well, you just have to open the Bible. Also, mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's where it is. And, and it's, it's quite unashamed about it. You know, the Lord promised them this land and that mm. the, the idolaters should be got rid of, and there, there they went. Of course, we now see what's being lived with is the state in Israel and, and Palestine. Mm. And here, I am going to stick my neck out and I am going to make an opinion not an opinion on what I believe, but I think on something that people should really take on board, is when the State of Israel was founded recently and things, and it was the result of a bomb campaign and terrorism. That's how the State of Israel came into being. It was based upon the fact that everybody in the UN at the time were, the majority were Christian. So they believed the Bible was absolutely true. Nowadays, I think if you try to get it past the UN, you'd be on a sticky wicket, as we would say, Mm. because there's more understanding now about comparative religion and how much of the Bible is myth and story and things. Mm. And you might have trouble convincing the entire Mm. grouping. It would be rather like the the Lakota Indians going to um, the UN and saying... Uh, well, Washington State used to be our happy hunting grounds. I'm making this up, ladies and gentlemen, but it used to be our happy hunting grounds. We should have it back. Mm. Well, they'd say, "Well, okay, your legends say that, but you know, times passed, and it's a very difficult. It's True. a very difficult issue. So, anyway, no, I and mean, 2020 vision
0: in hindsight, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, of course. Mm. And then, of course, um, Judaism calmed down. Mm-hmm um and then of course Somewhat. with the um with the devastation the uh, holocaust uh, the you get the state of israel but the state of israel has always been quite upfront by saying we are a secular state we are not a religious state mm. and even so there are still violent clashes between the followers of the various Hasidic rabbis in um israel all the time right but generally speaking it's 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 calmed down. It's been through the testosterone-driven teenage bit. Mm. Then, of course, we have Christianity. At first, it's a pacifist slave religion. Mm. And then later, under the donation of Constantine, it becomes the religion of the Roman Empire, which means that it also then has to start... Being responsible for raising troops and armies. This has always been the bane of Christianity, where its activities like chaplains for armed forces and things actually flagrantly contradict the teachings of the religion's founder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But anyway, um you know, and how nations who you know who drop bombs on other countries and defenseless people can presume to call themselves Christian, it's just beyond my comprehension. But the Christians went through their aggressive bit, and that's mainly in the Crusades, you know, and then the shadow side, the Inquisition. I mean, if you understand it from a I'm gonna we'll get onto this in a moment when we see the group psychology, mm. it's actually what you're getting is you get like the shadow, the nightmare side. There's the idealism, Mm. and then sometimes the pressure becomes too much or whatever, or people who no longer have authentic spiritual experience then start to push that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But um, in Hinduism too, Hinduism is a lot of wars. Um, uh, I haven't mentioned really um, Sikhism. Sikhism was actually a breakaway from Hinduism. It was the warrior caste. Yeah. But um, generally speaking, Hinduism is peaceful, unless it's having problems with Islam, as sort of in partition. Um, but uh, even so, you get, you know, every five years, there's a Kumabali or something. It's when all the Hindu gurus get together, the convergence of two rivers and... It goes on for weeks and weeks and thousands of thousands. It's considered the largest gathering of human beings on the planet. But there is huge, violent clashes between the various trailers, the various gurus. You know, my guru is better than your guru. And, you know, G-U-R-U, a guru, and all that kind of thing. So there we are. And I'm sad to say, even Tibetan Buddhism doesn't escape this. Yeah. <clears throat> there have been many cases where high lamas have received political power and have huge followings, mainly amongst Mongolian tribes, and then uses them as armies to destroy or to capture other monasteries for them. Hmm. I mean, the Gelugpa, the Yellow Hat School, you know, um, to which the Dalai Lamas belong, I'm not saying the Dalai Lama's countenanced it, but nevertheless, the Gulugpa became the dominant school of Tibet, not through the purity of its teachings, but because of the amount of Mongolian swords hmm. that were supporting it at the time, oh, right. which is why in Mongolia there is only one school. There is only the Gulugpa. Hmm. Well, I mean, you know... So to... I'm, I'm just using it as, a, as an example of... You yeah, know, and I think that's, that, that just gives so everybody... That... A...
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that gives everybody an idea that, you know, this is widespread. This is the problem with religion. First of all, power corrupts. So I guess the minute politics and religion mix, it just goes completely pear-shaped. But, you know, more more to the point, I think, you know, now that we've gone and pretty much peed off pretty much every religion from East to West. Um, <laughs> yes, <clears throat> Um you know, pointing out some not so pleasant facts um I do think that it brings up something that maybe is an interject to this or a sidebar to the subject. I think you know that's really the the place that occultism and spiritual, true spiritual practice really fills, which is you know religion sort of is just this you know it's i guess it's sort of the surface stuff mm-hmm. where and 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 that's where the occultism. And spiritualism then comes in and fills in the substance, the, the the real meat of, if one wants to call it that, the real meat of the subject, because actually that's where the true wisdom lies. That's where the the understanding that everybody's the same, there's oneness across religions, across different perspectives, and your perspective may be different, but in fact, we share a, a similarity greater than what we are different. Exactly.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Your Spiritual Broadcast is sponsored by the Rising Phoenix Foundation. Why not sign up for David Goddard's Letters to Your Spirit? It's free and once a week you get a spiritually inspiring message to help you on your path of spiritual discovery. Letters to Your Spirit has many giveaways, free programs and online workshops that is only shared with Rising Phoenix Foundation community members. Go to rpxf.org and sign up today. Anyhow, so, you know, I guess this is a call to arms in not the same way as fanatics are called to arms, but this is really a, a call to people to say, you know engage your brain engage your mind engage your spirit begin thinking how you can use spiritual practice to make the world a better place and that's really i think what the rising phoenix foundation and all your works all about in any case before i go on off on a tangent um i'm going to get back to one of my questions that i've got written down here so i wanted to find out from you What is the difference between a personal and a group religion? I
1: mean, how would one sort of look at that? We've often spoken about the three modes of consciousness. We talk about the self-conscious, the waking mind, Mm -hmm. the subconscious, the dreaming, the memory, the atavistic, and occasionally superconscious, which we could call the mystical, the transpersonal. And a person's religion, a person really, an individual, really has three kinds of religion. In this, I would even include atheism as a religion. You listen to some atheists, they are so fanatical, they just have to be religious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they could become a real good spokesperson for it. You should hear me. You know, as you know, the only thing I'm fanatically opposed to is fanatics. Mm. <laughs> no, fair but enough. anyway, so there is the uh, the superconscious aspect of one's religion, really means, as far as one has got to in the development of consciousness and spiritual development. Mm. You could be in a room with twenty five Baptists Oy. and if you spoke to them, some of them would be really kind of you know keen and you know oh, this is the way and such and such you know um other ones were just you could tell they were just there because it's a family thing and that's how they were brought up and mm-hmm. all the rest of it and occasionally, hopefully not so rarely you'd come across a person who is kind of okay they call themselves a baptist but by disposition and the way they handle and are towards other people they're kind of very embracing and very mm. gentle mm. it doesn't mean they're weak in their religion they just recognise that their spiritual development is greater so they recognize that all religion is is signposting or a particular taste in music or a particular taste in art mm. so that's what super Conscious I And mean, that makes the world of difference between an Archbishop Tutu, you know, and um, a member of the Ku Klux Klan who dares to call himself Christian and runs around killing people because they're black Jewish or Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. There's that vastness of difference.
0: Exactly, you're right.
1: The, se- the self-conscious level of religion... Is the religion that the person chooses to be? Now, it will be in most cases, I should imagine, the religion they were brought up in. Mm. You know, they're just content to call themselves that, or or just to observe it. You know, on Christmas, everybody goes to midnight mass or whatever. The rest of the year, they don't do anything. Mm. But you know, if they were asked or pushed to, they'd say, "Oh, yeah, sure, sure, I'm a, I'm a, I don't want to pick on a Methodist." or whatever yeah let's or let's look at dutch, who we haven't picked on yet <laughs> let's, let's pick on the
0: dutch reform Church. Sure the, the dutch reform
1: oh whatever yeah they're yeah. the
0: furthest away from 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 england <laughs> usually i should i may so, be wrong um, anyhow
1: there may be some maybe some in holland yes <laughs> which is quite close true but anyway be that as it may um that would be the self-conscious or a person who's brought up christian and then through thinking or, or some perhaps some experience they have they convert to another faith i mm. mean look at the number of people who become tibetan buddhists cool. so for them tibetan buddhism is their self-conscious religion right then and this is very interesting from an occult point of view then you have the subconscious religion and that—that that is the religion of the old gods of your culture. Hmm. So if you come from a Celtic background, it will be old Celtic gods. Hmm. You know, it could be Roman gods, Greek gods, ancient Egyptian gods. It's the deep, deep level right, of religion right. relating to land and place and ancestry. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you see, that's a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, changes everything. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now you understand why, for certain workings, magicians, you know, theogists who would regard themselves quite rightly as Christian, for example, but for certain kinds of workings, particularly they're trying to heal neuroses in a group mind, hmm. will evoke the old gods, hmm. subject to the great mystery, you know, to the one. But, you know.
0: Well, I guess, it. I mean, I know you've written about this to some extent, and, and we've certainly discussed it numerous times. I mean, I guess that sort of connects back to the primordial tradition and sort of goes up a level I guess, you know, back into the more abstract level of of spirituality in a sense.
1: Yes. Yes. Because after all, you know, true spirituality, you know, as you say, the primordial, the radiant mystery, is formless, nameless, and Mm. So, you know, everything else are just attempts to kind of describe. Well, it's what just is decoration, formed. isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and this is, um, you know, this is very, very, you know, in, in important that um, if you meet two people who have both have some degree of spiritual um, awareness, and they start to talk about, you know, and one says, oh, well, I'm actually so-and-so, and the other says, oh, well, that's interesting, I'm such-and-such. You'll notice that their relationship with each other will be kind of a kind of curiosity. You see it sometimes. Actually, we mentioned Archbishop Tutu recently. You see it um, in discussions between Archbishop Tutu and uh, the Dalai Lama. It's sort of like, this is the kind of music that touches my soul and moves me. And the other one is, Oh, that's very interesting. What is it you like about it? Mm. It's not accusative, it's willing to learn from another's experience. Yeah, it's
0: not close to the it's not close to the thought, yeah.
1: No, and this is why there's been so much in you know interfaith dialogue and things like that. Whereas the fanatic a fanatic is somebody who believes in something fanatically. They don't know a thing. They just believe, they're too frightened to think. Mm. And therefore, you know that they believe that. You know, if, as Billy Connolly would have you say, that you know, if you went and blew somebody up, you go to uh, go to a paradise, and there'd be fifty-four virgins. Which he quite rightly says would be hell, not paradise. But still, um, but their their the reason they hate and are willing to kill anybody else is because they challenge their belief system, on which their identity and their certainties are built. Mm. Well, this actually they can't, me- they can't live with the wisdom of uncertainty.
0: Hmm. I mean this actually brings me up to the to the sort of the crux of the of the whole thing is I mean, why is religion so powerful <clears throat> excuse me in stirring up um I shall I guess we can call it negativities? I mean, it just seems to be incredibly it seems to be a fountain of this stuff.
1: Yes. Well primarily it comes down to this. First and foremost, we've spoken about before egregores, about group minds, mm-hmm. and it comes down to the f- fact that world religions form the largest group minds on the planet, the largest group minds in history. Mm. So you know, it, you know, there's not even confined to ge- geography. Mm. You know, a world religion by its definition, Islam has you know people of every nationality in it. Yeah. and in every country, Christianity the same, Buddhism the same, Hinduism to a certain extent because of the diaspora,
0: mm.
1: you know, and so that's why it's so they're so huge and thus so powerful. History's never seen group minds of such strength before. Mm. And then the other factor is, as I touched on just now, the fanatic is frightened because they over-identify with their religion. Mm. Uh, they they invest all their sense of identity, all their sense of happiness, all their sense in the future, the people they will like, the people that make their daughters marry, you know, the, the people that burn at stakes and things, it's all invested mm. in this archaic form of thinking, which was created at a tribal level and was created to deal with a world as it was then. hundreds of years ago but isn't now Mm. so if somebody proves uh, to a fundamentalist to a believer that to to god they cease to be cease to be special and they're too fearful or lazy to think for themselves because they've swallowed their faith hook line and sinker Mm -hmm. yeah they just want to be told But the truth is about this is scriptures, all scriptures, were written by visionary mystics who were fully aware that what they were trying to describe transcended dualistic language. Hmm. It's only an approximation, which means, therefore, that scriptures, and I'll say it again, all scriptures, without exception, are allegorical. They're, They're poetic. They're not literal they're not a report by a journalist at the front line. Yeah. This is why the rabbis themselves wrote that a man who interprets scripture literally is a fool. And actually, this is why you find in certain religions where the esoteric stream is stronger, like Tibetan Buddhism, that scripture may only be expounded, may only be explained by somebody who knows, because otherwise... A person, the yeah, a person without mystical experience will understand. It. I mean, you've seen this. Why so often over the years? I've done workshops and teachings on the Book of Revelation,
0: yeah,
1: because it's led to so much misunderstanding. Oh yeah, yeah, you, know, you, you know, I nickname it the most misunderstood book in the Bible. Yep. In fact, I think we did a show on that. I'm not sure. We may have. I think we did. And here's the problem. You see, we have with professional clergy. In any and all religions is that the majority of them do not have and will not admit to not having mystical gnosis, mystical understanding hmm. And because they don't want to lose the perks of being professional clergy, they tell their followers if they ask any interesting questions that has to do with authentic insight and relationship. They just say, oh, no, just believe. Just believe is enough. Believe is enough. Mm. Well, you remember that thing in um, in the mysteries where we have this saying where we say that um, blind faith just isn't enough. And because these clergy, and by clergy I'm using it as a generic sense, whether we're talking about vicars, lamas, mullahs, Iman. gurus, yeah. whatever, yeah. or even stranger people doing um, podcasts, mm-hmm. um, but they tell them just to believe 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 and so instead of you know giving to their followers the bread of life they're giving them stones Mm. and in my opinion creed or religion religion that's based just on faith and nothing else can no longer be accepted as part of a growing part of human evolution because we're seeing what it does in the world i mean even this week it's been theravadist buddhist monks inspiring their people to kill muslim believers and have them cast out into sea to die in the sun and so this is what has to happen you know with a in, in my view with a faith into dialogue it has to be about it has to be about experiential religion Mm. or what science called contemplative religion. In other words, where it's direct experience and people share together. Mm. Uh, Because um, creeds must be replaced by contemplation. Dogmas have to be replaced by direct experience. Mm. Otherwise you get silly stuff. I mean, look at last week where the Republic of Ireland which the Vatican was pretty sure would vote against same-sex marriage, voted in favour of it, and the Cardinal Secretary of State for the Vatican a few days later declared it as being, you know, a bad outcome for humanity.
0: <laughs> Funny. In,
1: in, a, in a in a in a planet whose biggest problem, more than anything else, is overpopulation. So we need to replace kind of exclusivity by open-heartedness, by, like, sharing. We should be like, you know what I think? What I think, what do I think? I think that religion should be like bringing share lunches or a braai or a barbecue where you all bring your favourite meal to the table and share it with your brothers and sisters. Mm. That's what it should be like. I agree. I think, I mean, besides,
0: you know, putting your name up for um, election at the UN, um, I, I think that's a brilliant idea. And I think that is really the, the right way of looking at things, because I think that is really the the whole issue is that this is something that we inherited through the ages that has pretty much been cast in stone. And, and people, I guess, and, you know, I guess, you you know, you said it and due to laziness, sort of don't want to think outside the box and, and just take the idea and swallow it whole sure. and so you know there's no really looking at the facts and the statements very hard and so you know that just breeds contempt and and, and misunderstanding and of course you know people being people you know they'll find any reason to punch their neighbor in the face so <clears throat> I, I agree I think you know that and, and that for me that is I really I guess the the real attraction to what spirituality can bring to humanity and that's yes, really you see, what
1: the, the, Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I mean you hit it. I mean like with what passes for philosophy in the modern Western world, which is not really philosophy at all, since the word means love of wisdom. Hmm. But um the trouble is people get it into the debate head. Yeah. And they think, oh we should debate, which means argue our points. Yeah. And that's prove our religions right. But if you all say to yourselves, you know, it's all about the human yearning and striving for the ineffable, often conditioned by place and geography and point in history, let's just accept the fact it's allegorical and share with each other what we've all learnt in our way. Mm. I mean, so talk like- about
0: evolution, you know, that that would be the, the, the spirit of evolution instead of sitting there and debating like these dumb bleep, bleep politicians, you know, in every, in every parliament debating exactly. all sorts of nonsense and rubbish. I mean, and,
1: and I think even further is it's time that people realized that they're, that far more noble than being able to label oneself a Catholic or a Muslim or a Jew Jews, a Hindu, far more important than any of that is being able to label oneself as a human being. Mm. I think that's
0: completely lost on a lot of people. And hopefully we can, I think we've, we've peed off so many people. Yeah. It's probably just like reached 10 million people. And <clears throat> anyhow, <laughs> my last question <laughs> before we we've sort of gone into well, a whole big let's, rant. Let's,
1: let's hope it's not your very last. Yes. Let's hope they don't find us. I mean, you you are in that bunker in Lhasa near Tibet, aren't you? Mm.
0: Well, and I'll be moving to another, you know, lead cave somewhere. <laughs> Location unknown. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, last question uh, because we, I am sure the listeners are also like going to yawn. Um, so, last so, question of this last question of this podcast of this podcast, correct? To be more yes. specific. So, yes. back to sort of the the formal sort of theme and vein of this. Show um you mentioned you know that scriptures were written by um mystics mystics who had direct experience trying to communicate their their experiences in dualistic language, so people who attained superconscious states who have experienced spiritual realization express religion or do they i mean I guess I'm not really sure what I'm really
1: trying to say here um well, if if we are saying that religion is like um, a signpost or art or yeah, music, yeah. once they attain the realization, are you asking do they then throw it away? They don't need to keep the ideology.
0: In a, yeah, I guess that's that's really sort of what I'm leading at. I mean, it's like um, I'm trying to like ver- suddenly lost my tongue here. So no, I mean. I mean Go I mean, just from what you've sort of understood from the question,
1: what, what do you think? Well, well, I'm wondering whether it is the fact that here's a woman or a man who's attained to some superconscious state of spiritual realization. Hmm. A particular religion or philosophy was their ladder. Right. Having yes. attained that realization, do they hang on to the ladder or they chuck it away? Exactly,
0: exactly. That's sort of where I'm going with it. Um that's a good question it took a bit of took a bit of like bleeding the The rock
1: the best ones always do the best ones always do anyhow um I remember a a Tibetan Lama talking about how a religion was like a boat that you use to cross a river to reach the island of Enlightenment So the oars and the shape and the colour of the boat were kind of distinctive because the religion was distinctive to another boat or whatever. Mm. But once you got there, you didn't need the boat anymore. Once you were on the Enlightened Island, you didn't need the boat anymore. Mm. And in fact, walking around carrying it on your back could kind of hamper your progress. Just a tad, yeah. So there is that particular view but it's not quite like that. Well, it depends upon the work of the realized being. If the work of the um, realized being is pratika to be a silent one and just to do work in the world, hmm. action, and not verbalized, why on earth would they bother to talk about it at all? They wouldn't. Hmm. But generally speaking, we find that... Um, They will still use, but skillfully use, the metaphors and the allegories of the particular religion, the particular faith they came through. They will still use that if they are communicating with others who haven't yet had realization. Well,
0: just to have some form of relation, yes, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, but also for a form of instruction. Yes, exactly. You know, it's like you know, going to going to a an art museum and seeing great art and somebody who knows a lot about it um, explaining to you, like, for example, Renaissance art is always full of these hidden motifs and hidden symbolism, and you have to kind of understand it. So I, th- I think there's that kind of thing to it. Um, so, and because the, you know, one of the terms for the divine, or whatever you want to call it, is the inexpressible? Meaning you can't express it, or the old word ineffable. Hmm. You can't say effing anything about it because it's beyond words and shape and name. So what are you going to do? Now it's okay with two people who know. You know there was there was a famous case with um oh, I've forgotten who. It was a therapist, patriarch, and Thomas Keating, I think, but actually. They just sat there face-to-face face and just gently smiled at each other. Hmm. That's what people who, who know do. Lovely, or, yeah. or they'll chuckle together. Mm. You know, in Tibetan things, there's this thing about the sign of authentic hermits when they get together is they, they laugh, they chuckle.
0: Mm.
1: They don't talk about scriptures and all the rest of the things. So, you know, there is this sense of like music, of appreciation, of art, mm. you know, of being in the same space. Crazy Horse, the Lakota holy man, put it very well when he said, When I look into your eyes, into the pupil of your eyes, your eyes, you know, and I see that black point, you know, I am with God as God was before creation.
0: Mm. That's beautiful.
1: So in the mysteries, you know, the econ mystery, we have a saying, Faith is good. Nobody's saying it's bad. Faith is good after thought there's nothing worse than despair and you know faith here meaning a a reasonable faith
0: Mm.
1: so for example you know i'm used to some of these sound contraptions so i put faith in you that you will explain to me where to to to
0: plug it all in
1: and and very soon my faith will be either disproved (laughs) or it will be rewarded so that's reasonable faith so faith is good but it continues to say but knowledge is better
0: mm.
1: and then it says and wisdom is best of all mm.
0: i think that's the probably the most suitable way to end the show thank you very much um you've been listening to your spiritual broadcast with david goddard and benjamin phillips uh the rising phoenix foundation is the sole sponsor of the show We are, well, the Rising Phoenix Foundation, at least, is now 10 years old this year. So we're trying to spread our message, um, bring about a spiritual revolution in this world. And I think, um, or evolution, I should say, or renaissance probably is even a better word, you know, considering the subject, I suppose. Um, You can find the show at itunes and stitcher the website is yourspiritualbroadcast.com there's a place where
1: you say again Uh, Did you say mcdonald's was sponsoring it no mcdonald's hasn't really contacted us yet but um oh oh, i see perhaps i'm feeling clairvoyant.
0: (laughs) maybe um any executives at mcdonald's you're welcome to contact us the if you've got any questions in the meantime you can of course email us at questions at YourSpiritualBroadcast.com On iTunes and Stitcher you can rate the show so please go ahead I'm sure we're going to get a whole bag of replies and feedback after this show so um, feel free to just wade in you know whatever you whatever you feel like go right ahead we really appreciate any feedback Um, again David thank you very much for your time I appreciate it Um, our listeners the feedback we've been getting has really been very encouraging um, and thank you very much to the listeners who are really, um, without you, the show is nothing. So thank you very much for joining us
1: every week. And um, David, you want to say something? Uh, yes, uh, if, I, if I may, just to part company for the time being. Um, when I was a teenager, there was a famous comedian on British television. Not Billy Colin. No, he's ah, Scottish. This, this guy was from Ireland. He was Northern Ireland. And, of course, we remember at the times there mm. were those very really. brutal wars between yeah. Catholics and Protestants. And he grew up in this and the bombing of people and things. And most of his sketches and jokes were about religion. Hmm. But he would always sign off with this comment, which I'm going to share. Which will be our sign-off
0: for tonight, yes. at least.
1: For tonight, different to our usual one, where he would say, good night to you all. And may your God go with you.
0: And there we go. Bravo. Thank you very much. Good night, everybody. Thank you very much. Cheers, David. Ciao. Ciao.